Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Welcome online. Welcome in person. Who's, um, who's still kind of excited to be back in person? Uh, has it kicked in yet that you can be around other people and it's okay? <laughs> If you're not here, um, again, you're missing out. We are really, we're going somewhere as a church. I really believe it. And uh, we're in week two of our series. We're going to get stuck into it straight away. So if you haven't heard from Pastor, from Dave Schaaf's message last week on the wonderful counsellor, Jesus being our wonderful counsellor, um, I encourage you to jump online. You can actually find that on our YouTube channel or on uh, our podcast. Um, but if you're here with us, if you have your Bible, if you're online, Um, jump on your Bible app or you'll see it on the screen. Let's go to Isaiah 9 verse 6. We're going to revisit this really good text. And it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Before we go any further, let's pray. Um, I don't know about you, but when we go into a time of, of kind of corporate worship or even individual worship, uh, there's, there's nothing more that we can ask for than the presence of God. And we're just going to do something really simple. If you're here with me, uh, if you're online, I just want you to close your eyes and open your hands up. We're just going to pray a prayer that's really basic that the early church prayed and it's come Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Without you, my words mean nothing. Without you, this information that we hear today will not lead to transformation in our lives. So Holy Spirit, we ask you that you just come and fill our lives again. Come fill this place. Come fill the homes, the cars, the the, 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 the trains, wherever this is being watched online. We know that you're not... You know, you're not bounded by walls or barriers or anything like that. We know that you're there with us. So we ask that this next 25, 30 minutes is just anointed afresh so that we can walk out of this building on fire for you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Everyone everyone can say, Amen. Great. So today we're working and we're really looking at what uh, Jesus, who Jesus as the mighty God is. And um, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but... Reading this scripture in, in, in Christmas, it's always in the festive season. What an interesting scripture to read in the Christmas season because there's nothing festive about it. <laughs> it's, it's almost like an awkward introduction uh, about who Jesus will be. Like, Can you imagine if one of your friends had a, a child or maybe one of your children had a grandchild and they came to you the first time you've seen this baby and they say, this is our son, daughter. And he shall be called this, this, and this. Like, I've got a one and a half year old. If I brought Avery to, uh, to you and introduced you to, the, to him for the very first time, it would be like me saying, this is my son, Avery. But I wouldn't say Avery. I'd say, this is my son, and he shall be called professional athlete. <laughs> or wonderfully kind. Or wise beyond his years. It's like, it's a really interesting way of, of, of introducing Jesus the Messiah. 
And I think there's actually more to it. I think this is more than just a, an awkward introduction. It's actually a prophetic word from Isaiah to humanity to say this is who Jesus shall be called to you. So he makes it personal. He says, this is Jesus and here are four names that you can use for your life because we know that we go through all sorts of things in our lives. We need a wonderful counsellor. We need a mighty God. We need an everlasting father. And we need a prince of peace. So this is actually Isaiah prophesying because at the time of writing this, we need to understand that Isaiah was a prophet. So a prophet's a mouthpiece of God. Back then, God was speaking through certain people in the Bible. Now he speaks to all of us. But back then, Isaiah was speaking to the Israelites who had actually walked far from God. So they were actually following false gods. They were following idols. And Isaiah was commissioned. What a privilege to speak judgment against God's people. But Isaiah was commissioned by God to go to the Israelites and say, you guys have to turn from your your lifestyle or you will be judged. And you know, the interesting thing about this is there was nothing festive going on at the time. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a fun time. It was actually one of the darkest times for God's people. And the, the, the good thing about understanding the context of what we're reading is the more we understand and read the context of what Israel was like back then, we can almost start identifying ourselves for now. What I mean by saying this is when I was studying the culture and the, the context of the Israelites when Isaiah was speaking to them, I actually started to see myself in some of the Israelites. I, I, I don't know about you, but I actually start seeing myself forgetting about the one true God and worshipping other idols. You know, whether that's work, whether that's family, even your spouse or your, your children, whether that's even the church. Like, I sometimes get caught... You know, if, if we heard anything from Pastor Ross in our worship series, which is our last series, you know, we worship, uh, what we worship, we become. And I sometimes get caught finding myself becoming less like Jesus and more like the, thing, the things I focus on. More like, more like a work-orientated person, more like a, a church kind of service-orientated person. And I don't know about you, you guys might be way holier than I am, but I find myself caught in this cycle, the same cycle that Israel was caught in, and especially coming into Christmas when you, you get lost in the blur of shopping. It took me like 40 minutes to get out of Towers the other day. Public service announcement, don't go to Castle Towers. It is not set up for you to win. <laughs> but in the blur of shopping, family, festivities, it's often easy to lose track of who God is because all these other things in our life start taking the place of Him. They start taking that top place. So today we're going to unpack this and we're really going to be encouraged to see that we actually need to stand and fight against these things to allow God to retake number one position in our life. Does that sound good? Some feedback I had from the 9am was, This is quite a convicting message. I'm not saying that this is convicting, but the Holy Spirit is convicting people Um, because I think this is a word that we need to hear. And it might not be comfortable, but we can't have comfort and growth. (laughs) If we want to grow, it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, So please stick in here. If you're online, you know, I don't mind if you walk away from your TV, just leave it on because you need to hear this. 
<laughs> but before we get into it, let's just take a quick second. I'd love to take a quick second to pause right now and allow you to reflect and think. So if you're here with me, why don't you close your eyes? If you're online, close your eyes wherever you are. Ask yourself this question. What are a few things that I have just unintentionally allowed to take the place above God in my life? Father, just forgive us for not placing you as the centre of our worship, as number one in our lives. God, in this moment where it's just you and us, I pray that you can just come and take your rightful place as a centre, as a top priority in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So the good thing about this scripture is even though Isaiah is speaking judgment to the Israelites, in the same breath, he's actually declaring a message of hope. See, the prophecy of Jesus that humanity will have a mighty God in the middle of a broken world is the same hope that we can cling to as we go into this festive season. When life starts to get a little bit busy, we can know that, hey, even in the busyness, even when life doesn't really feel good, we have this prophetic word that God is still a mighty God. And you may be here today and like these Israelites, you may be kind of wandering in a place where you just don't know what's next for you. You may be in a bit of a valley, maybe in a bit of a low kind of season where there's been a bit of setback coming out of lockdown, there's been a bit of pushback. You might not even enjoy Christmas because there's, you know, loss associated with it or there's heartbreak or there's relationship tension, you know, get, gathering the family together is sometimes hard. And because of all these things, you might be forgetting the power of God and the might of God. I'm here today to really encourage you that the same God that was born to the Israelites, the same God was born as a baby, was born with full power and authority. And that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he'll continue to be the mighty God that was written here through Isaiah. So you may not see his power working yet, but that doesn't change who he is. He's our mighty God. So to truly understand the characteristic of God in this, uh, in this scripture, we have to be uh, Hebrew scholars, of course. So we're going to learn some Hebrew this morning. So there's, there's actually two words that are used for mighty God by Isaiah. The two words are El Gibor. El Gibor. Everyone say El Gibor. You guys are Hebrew scholars now. Great. El Gibor, if you break that up into two words, El is actually the word for God, which in Hebrew is a bit more nuanced. There's, it, it's it's all-encompassing. If this is God, he's all-powerful. He's all-encompassing. And Gibor actually translates to warrior or champion or mighty man. So now it changes the perception because now Isaiah is talking to the Israelites saying, Hey, the gods you're worshipping, the idols that you have placed in front of this god, El Gibor, are actually just statues. You know, the god we worship, El Gibor, he's not a statue. He's not made out of wood. He's not made out of stone. In fact, he's actually going to come and be alive and he's going to be moving as a baby. More so, he's going to come as a mighty warrior. He's going to come to help you through the things that you need help with. 
So while we tend to read this scripture during Christmas, and we, we sometimes think of a cute brown baby in a manger, I want you never to forget that when we see a nativity scene, when we see a Christmas tree, when we see the star on top, it's not just a cute baby that we're worshipping. We are serving a mighty God who came as a child with all power and all authority. And when we see Jesus for who he truly is, fully man and fully God, fully baby, also fully mighty, we start to see that a life spent worshipping him is a life that is full of power. And this power, it's not, it's not just worked in us and, and through us, it's actually worked around us. You know, I love going back to Coffs Harbour where my wife's from because I can take a second just to disconnect from the, the, the hustle and the grind of Sydney and really just sit and, and see the glory of God in nature. You know, there's beaches there that we can just lean into. There's, there's mountains, there's rainforests. All these things reflect the glory and the power of God so much so the disciple John talks about it saying, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. That has been made. Paul continues saying this to the Colossian church. He says, All things were created by him and for him, and in him all things are held together. I just want to pause here and let that sink in. Think about that time where you woke up at 5:30 with your significant other or best friend and you went to see the sunset. And you've got this memory now ingrained in your mind that is full of, you know, great feelings. Whether it's, did I say sunset? I meant sunrise. If you're waking up at 5.30 to see the sunset, come talk to me. Unless you're a shift worker, because that's okay. But a sunrise or a sunset, think about the times where you've walked through the bush and you've just marveled at how big the trees are, how green the leaves are. Think about the times you walk through, you know, really nice nature-filled, you know, places with waterfalls and streams, just... And you just can't, you can't fathom. John and Paul are both saying that all these things, all these beautiful, amazing things outworked around us have all been made through Jesus. All things were created by him and for him and all things are held together in him. And I think as humans, I think we actually mentally or physically cannot comprehend the magnitude of the God we serve. I don't think we're meant to. I think we implode like I think like to, to hold the grandeur and the magnitude of a God who can create all these things but if you're like me and you want to try um, I've brought some aids for you some visual aids if you're a visual learner and I'm going to throw them on the screen I typed in obviously on the most trustworthy website Google I typed in what is the most powerful thing in the universe now I think we do have a, a photo okay that doesn't look like much but that is what many academics, scholars think is the most powerful thing on the universe. It's called a gamma ray burst. You know, a gamma ray burst is what many people think the most powerful thing in the universe is. My wife disagrees. She thinks my baby's nappies are the most powerful thing in the universe, but we agree to disagree. But when stars 150 times the size of our own sun explode, they produce the brightest light sources in the universe and they release as much energy in a few seconds as our sun produces over its 10 billion years of lifetime. These explosions generate beams of high energy radiation called gamma ray bursts, 
which are considered by many to be the most powerful thing in the universe. I went to the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about our mighty, powerful God. Psalm 19, verses 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. The most powerful thing in the universe happening in the heavens, in the sky above us that we may not be able to see, the Bible says declares the glory and the handiwork of God, showing me that even the most powerful earthly phenomena, the most powerful natural thing happening actually is only a sign of how powerful our God is. Now, if you're like me again and you're like, okay, that's cool. That's in the natural. But what about humans? I went again back to, you know, Google, hit refresh, um, closed all my other tabs. If you're like, who, who's a tab hoarder? Thank you for being so honest with us today. Um, so, and, and I typed in, okay, if this, is, if this is nature, that's great. What about humans? Humans have had a, a big impact on the world. What is the most powerful human kind of presence in history? And I found that the most powerful kingdom through history was, in fact, the British Empire. The British Empire was the largest empire the world has ever seen. All that kind of red maroon is a testament to how big they were. At their peak, they nearly covered 34 million square kilometres of land, which is more than 22% of the Earth's landmass. At its peak, the empire had nearly 500 million people in 1938, which was back then almost 20% of the world's population. Now, this is a huge mark of influence in our world, right? We can, hear, we can understand and speak English because of it. We learn things in school around the English you know, traditions because of it. So it was a big influence, but then I went back to the Bible to see what it said about our mighty God. How many know it's amazing that we can go back and just see what the Bible says about our God? 1 Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So it doesn't matter what happens on the earth when we know who owns it. It doesn't matter who rules on the earth when we know who's created it. Like an empire that occupied nearly a quarter of the earth's landmass actually fades in comparison to the one who created the earth itself. And I hope by hearing these examples of, you know, so-called power in our worlds, you can start comprehending the true power of our God because the Bible says that there's nothing above, below, or even on this earth that can stand before him as more powerful. And I want to try to help you see this picture today. Because once you start seeing this picture and realising that we serve a mighty God, it actually only shows you that you can live your life one way, as a mighty person. Serving a mighty God means that we as humans must become mighty people. You know, it's easy to serve a holy God and be holier, but sometimes we struggle serving a mighty God and becoming mightier. Serving a God who's called a mighty warrior should naturally make us want to become mighty men and women of God. You know, we hear of these mighty men and women in the Bible. 
you know, David and his mighty men, Esther, who stood in the face of oppression and persecution to speak up against the king to save her people. These are not people who were supernaturally gifted. They were not talented. They were not set apart as someone who was special. They were actually just ordinary people who made a choice to step out and do mighty things because of their understanding of the mighty God that they served. They understood that their God was a mighty God so they could do mighty things. And my question to you today is, will you choose to become a mighty man or woman of God? Because it is a choice. You know, we saw previously in in, in Isaiah, the Israelites chose not to step into their potential as a mighty people. They chose false gods instead. They chose idolatry instead. They didn't choose to become God's people who were called to take the, 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 the places that they, they stood on. Ezekiel, interestingly enough, another, another prophet, Ezekiel, talks about the same, the same cohort of Israelites in a different chapter. Ezekiel 36.20 says, But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. Isn't that convicting? That people, the people of God were seen by people who didn't know the same God, yet could identify that these were the people of God, yet they still had to leave his land. It made me think, you know, what do people say about you? What do people say about me? Do they look at me? Do they look at you and say, this is a person of God, yet his life does not make it seem so. This is a person of the mighty God, yet his life or her life is not as mighty as it would seem. Because what people say about you and what people see in you actually reflects your God. Your life reflects the God you believe in. This is a question for all of us. I was convicted at the 9am preaching on this and, and, and studying this and preparing for this because God wanted me to feel that if you believe that I am a mighty God, let your life show it. Because people see our lives and they base who God is based on how we live our life. People, I think there's a, there's a quote, it's not prepared, but it's, it's your life is the first Bible people may ever read. What does your life say about God. And it's easy to believe in a holy God, like I said before, and choose to live a holy life, but sometimes it's difficult to believe that our God's mighty because it means that we have to choose to live a mighty life. You know, you don't just one day wake up full of the Spirit of God, ready to change the world. I mean, you may have, and I'd love that. But speaking to many people who've done the journey, and who've got the runs on the board as seasoned Christians, they tell me it's a daily decision. It's waking up every single day and choosing to surrender our life to God. It's waking up every single day and choosing daily disciplines, such as reading our Bible or praying or spending time with God, that in turn shape us into who God needs us to be. And then it's waking up every single day and choosing to invite the power and the Spirit of God into our life, 
so that we can leave our room. We can leave that quiet place, the secret place, and we can go out and be the sons and daughters of God, full of power, full of authority. You know, there's a, there's a great scripture that you, you probably all know. Ephesians 6 verse 10. It'll be on the screen and I'd love you to read it with me. It says, Finally, be strong by reading your Bible four hours a day. Oh, wait, sorry, that was the, that was the message version. Uh, <laughs> no, it says, Finally, be strong by sharing your beliefs and opinions, whether they're right or not, on social media. What does it say? Come on, let's read this together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in whose mighty power? And in His mighty power. You know, we don't draw strength from our own works. We don't draw strength from even our own belief. We don't draw from our own strength. We actually draw strength for our lives from the mighty God. We are called to be strong in Him. We are called to put on the armour of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I love that Paul writes this because he's writing this to us right now because he knows that some people aren't ready to fight yet, but you can stand. He knows that putting the armour of God on means that you might not have to go to battle just yet, but it means that you're prepared to stand where you are. And I look at the world right now and it needs Christians who are willing to stand on the truth. I look at the world right now, it doesn't need Christians to so much, you know, go ahead and fight battles because God's fighting on our behalf anyway. We only have to be silent sometimes, but it means that we can take a stand and know that the evil and the devil's schemes coming against us won't push us backwards, but will allow us to to hold the line. I just, preparing this, I had this really amazing image of, of the church being like an army of God. And the arrows would fly and the, and the people would come against it. But we, that we take a stand, having, having the armour of God on, taking the stand so that we wouldn't lose ground, but we could stay on the ground that was given to us. And it's a daily thing, not just when times get hard, because as verse 12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Meaning as soon as we leave these four wars where we gather together to corporately worship Him, we are in enemy territory. You know, there's, there's a war raging around us. We might, we might not see it. We might not feel it. But it doesn't mean that it's not there. And we as believers are called to be sensitive to this truth. We're called to be, you know, sensitive to knowing that if we don't put our armor on daily, then we will not be able to stand against the scheme of devil, the devil. But more importantly, we won't be able to actually take ground for the kingdom of heaven. Because we're actually called to be proactive Christians, right? You know, you may have heard coming out of lockdown, you may have heard the term consumerism and, and, and being Christians who just consume content, things like that where we just sit and, and, and take in. If there's one thing that lockdown showed me is that when, these, when this building disappears, who do we actually become? Like who, who am I when I leave these four walls? Am I the same person that worships in here as I, as I do out there? Or do I have this facade, a mask that I put on here? And, and me being someone who can 
you know, have the privilege of standing up here and, and almost sharing what's on my heart makes it almost extra hard. I have to make sure that my life aligns with what I say. And this is why this convicts me as well, because it's been the mission of God to restore the world and humanity back to its original state. Ever since Genesis, when the world fell and people were born into sin, God has tried to make everything new again. You know, He did it through David. He did it through Moses. He did it through Isaiah. And then He started doing it through other people until He got to the point where He's like, I need to do it through my son, Jesus. And He sent Jesus for us, who renewed us and restored us. And then Jesus came with a new mission saying, go forth, make disciples. Go in my power, my authority. Go heal the sick, raise the dead, you know, cast demons out. Take back what is rightfully ours. And you can do that because you are full of my power, full of my authority. However, the enemy has successfully sedated or distracted many Christians. You know, the the enemy has actually distracted us from remembering and declaring the mighty God that we serve. You know, one of the greatest weapons against the enemy is a power-filled believer But one of the enemy's greatest successes is a distracted one. One of the greatest weapons is someone who walks out of this place, out of their room, full of power, full of the Spirit of God. But one of the enemy's greatest successes is a distracted Christian. Because what we focus on, we worship. So let me ask you the question today. What are we focusing on? Are we focusing in this this festive season on the one true mighty God? Or do we let the other things of life get in the way? Because what we focus on, we worship. And what we worship, we become. You know, when we start worshiping and focusing on other things that aren't God, we start getting sidelined. You know, we we start sitting on the sidelines of the battle that's going on in front of us. Uh, In August last year, um, I was playing sport and it was a month after we had our little son, Avery. And I ended up, you know, the game with a bit of a freak accident. I, t- I tore three ligaments in my ankle. And um, I was on crutches for about uh, four weeks. And I remember how hard it was because I had a one-month-old who I couldn't carry because I had crutches or I couldn't really walk with him. Uh, I was still working full-time, so I was still driving, but I couldn't do much. And I couldn't really help Paige either around the house, which was a good thing because I didn't have to do as many nappies, right? So that was the plus side. Um, But I remember thinking at that time where I was recovering and thinking it would just be easier for me to just rehabilitate my ankle in my own time and then take, you know, take a a sideline, take a bench on the side, hang the boots up, um, really step into my dad bod calling, you know, become a dad. It was easier to just become a dad at that point. And I remember Paige and, and some people around me convicting me and saying, look, are you sure you're done? Because you might have a couple more years in you. You might still want to play with your son when when he's young. You know, the physios at the time said that if I wanted to play again, I'd have to get surgery. And I didn't want to do that. So I was kind of, I was done. But I remember making a decision and saying, I do, I want to pick up the ball with with Avery. I want to start running with him. I want to start doing active things with him. So I started rehabbing my ankle. Anyways, 10 months later, I'm running again and I'm playing again which is a testament to God's you know, healing. But also, I don't want you to miss the point that I had to make a choice whether I was going to return to play 
or return to the sidelines. I had to make a choice within me after being injured. Do I want to keep going and return to, to the field or do I want to sit back and sit on the sidelines? And I think there's people in here today and online who coming out of lockdown feel a bit injured, a bit battered and bruised. And today there's a choice. Do I want to return to the field of play or do I want to sit on the sideline? And the bench on the sideline is not for any Christian because we are called to win. We're called to play the game. We're called to win the game and win it by a lot because the captain of our team is, is Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Messiah. If this sporting analogy is going, just going over your head, then come and talk to Sanjeev on the front row. He'll explain it to you. But we are called to be on the playing field. And I want you to think about this truth that maybe lukewarm Christians who are indifferent towards the good news that's within them are just as effective as those who don't know Jesus yet. A Christian who's lukewarm, who has the good news, yet doesn't act on it, that doesn't live a life that's mighty, that doesn't live a life that's full of power, is just as useful or effective for the world, for Jesus, as those who don't know Jesus yet. You know, you can be living a sin-free life and still be stagnant. You can live a life that's saved, you can still be stagnant. And I've come to light a bit of a fire under your seat tonight because you can probably see I'm a very passionate person about this. I believe God's really calling the church to a new season. Not just this church, but the church. I believe that God's saying, hey, we need to step into this power and authority that only the body of Christ has been given. Can you imagine Jesus coming back for a bride that is on fire and is ready to be taken back? He's coming back, but He's waiting for the bride to start renewing itself. You know, corporate renewal, corporate revival will only come from personal renewal. What's happening in our lives? If we want to see a change where we are, what changes are we making in us? You know, now is the time when I look at the world and see that God needs a people, but the world needs a people that will stand, that will stand and are willing to go against the enemy and, and go to war in the spirit for his kingdom. When I look at the world, I see that maybe now is the time that as God, God's army, we need to be tearing down strongholds and destroying arguments against the knowledge of God. I look at the world and I think now is the time that we are called to take ground for His kingdom. You know, just as Joshua was reminded by God, I look at the world and I think that now is the time to believe that every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, He has given to you. Can you imagine walking out of this place thinking intentionally about every place you put your foot and knowing that that has been already given to you by God. Can you imagine walking into your workplace tomorrow on Monday, you know, when, when it's really hard to get out of bed, especially if it's raining outside, and thinking that by me stepping into this place, I am taking authority and I'm taking back this place for the kingdom of heaven. And I am able to be a powerful and mighty man of God because I know that I've been given this power by, by the mighty God Himself. Can you imagine how that shifts our thinking? And how much more on mission and how much more on purpose will be to go into a meeting on Monday praying that God, use me for your kingdom in this situation. There's so many people in the Bible, Daniel, Joseph, people who have put God first wherever they went, Daniel took a stand in the middle of idol worship where everyone else 
was forced to bow down. He took a stand and God raised him up to the highest place so that he could glorify him. Can you imagine thinking like this? As seeing that worshipping a mighty God makes us a mighty people. But we have to make a choice. Just like the Israelites chose, we have choices to make every single day. Do I choose to be a mighty man or woman of God? Do I choose to put the armour of God on myself today? Or do I choose to just choose comfort? Because we're a people that's, that's called to bear a cost, right? Jesus says there's a cost to the call. There's a burden. He says, deny yourselves, pick up your cross and follow me. Meaning that everything within us wants to do otherwise. But Jesus says, actually, there's a cost to being a believer. And sometimes that cost is, is comfort. It's comfortable to be a lukewarm Christian. I can testify to that. It's comfortable to being someone who doesn't go with a mission mindset into the places we're called to be. But we're going to make a choice today. So we're going to stand, we're going to worship, we're going to sing. So why don't you stand with me? If you're online, we're going to sing. But while we do this, I want you to really think about your relationship with God right now. This is between you and God. I want you to think, God, am I a mighty man or woman of God? Am I someone who can walk out there and and, and see that other people are looking at my life and glorifying you because of who I am? And if I'm not today, God, I choose to start on that journey. I choose from tomorrow to start that daily surrender of my life so that I can invite your power and presence back in, in every situation. So we're going to sing and we're going to really just intentionally connect with God one-on-one so that He can speak into that, into that area of our life. Let's sing.